Hey, this is Shane Valenstein, the pastor at City on a Hill Community Church. I want to welcome you to our sermon podcast. I hope that this podcast helps you grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at cityonahillmd.org. Enjoy the message. I love that video. It was put together by the Christian Alliance for Orphans, which is also known as CAFO. Um, It's to commemorate the 20th anniversary of Orphan Sunday. The one time I've been able to go to the CAFO conference, um, the man who narrated that video, I got to meet him. His name is Gary Schneider. And what I find really humbling is that he talks about the church in Zambia 20 years ago, but what he doesn't say is he was there. He actually was there for that sermon. What he also doesn't mention is that pastor had a completely different sermon in mind for Sunday, and something God spoke to his heart and said, no, today we're going to set aside for the most vulnerable in our village. Gary doesn't mention that most of us that are involved with CAFO and Orphan Sunday, we see him as the founder of Orphan Sunday. I had the opportunity to meet several celebrities over the years. I actually was standing behind Lou Ferrigno, for those of you that don't know, the actual Incredible Hulk. Um, I stood behind him in a grocery store line. That was cool. I've met Steven Spielberg. I've met Deidre Hall. I've met the second cast from Saved by the Bell at a fundraiser at the Hollywood Studios um, lot in LA. I've met Jay Leno too many times, and I was friends with his uh, band leader and a very accomplished jazz musician, Kevin Eubanks. Chuck and I have met Gabriel Iglesias. The list goes on, but I can say I have never fangirled like I did when I met Gary Schneider. I knew what I was going to say to him. I had it all planned in my head. And then I walked up to him when I had the opportunity, and I got completely tongue-tied. I mean, it was embarrassing. He was incredibly gracious, and he asked if I wanted to join him and his wife for lunch as they were finding a table to sit down and eat. I got to spend 30 minutes with just them, where he told me about his ministry in Zambia and how Orphan Sunday started. And I got to thank him for being the impetus behind an evening that radically changed the life of my family nine years ago. As many of you know, because you've heard our story, it was nine years ago when Chuck and I attended an Orphan Sunday event and our hearts were just broken for what breaks God's heart. Ten months after that night, we were on our way to Latvia and our family grew from a family of five to a family of nine as we grafted our four Latvian loves into our family tree. I'm going to take a breath here because I could talk about this all day long. I love to talk about our story. And I always make sure my kids are okay with it, just so you guys know before we jump into this. Um, This day means a lot to me. I'm very passionate about it, but that's not why I'm standing here. I'm not standing here to tell you what I want to tell you. So I'm going to take a pause, not only for me, but for you, and say, okay, God, speak through me. And I'm going to ask you to engage with me and to really take a second and think about praying that prayer and saying, God, what breaks your heart? It's a big prayer. It's a big prayer. I promise you that I'm not going to suggest that you leave here and you find a child and you graft them into your family. I promise you. Because I truly believe that if you're not called to adopt, that you should not adopt. 
This is not something that you can do by your sheer will. You have to be called by Jesus. But there are practical ways that each and every one of you sitting here can engage and be a part of this crisis in our world. We need to stand in the gap and care for those who have no family to call their own. I know that before Chuck and I prayed that simple prayer for God to break our hearts for what breaks his, I loved children and I hurt for children locally and around the world that hurt. I knew that I should pray more and I knew that I probably should do more. That's really how we ended up at the Orphan Sunday event nine years ago. What I didn't expect was that the message that I heard that night was not going to be, what about, be about what I should do. It was going to be about why I should care about a child that I have ne had never even laid eyes on, for children around the world. You see, I was compassionate. I cared. I had a heart for children. I have my entire life. But I wasn't competent. I didn't really understand what this crisis meant. I also wondered, is there really a need? What is that need? I mean, if you think about it, a lot of the news about orphan care is when we see these celebrities going in and saving children. I'm going to tell you that loving and caring for the fatherless is not about saving a child. That power belongs to our Heavenly Father and no one else. We cannot save anyone. It's not our job. But God can use us to stand in the gap for those that need us. So why should we care? The need about this is actually pretty easy for me to explain. The statistics are there. There are approximately 153 million orphaned and vulnerable children in the world. And that are children that are counted. They're considered to be up to 300 million children, if you consider the children on the streets, that aren't in that number. That's a huge number, and I don't know about you, but it's really hard for me to wrap my head around it. What does that really mean? So let's think about it like this. If we were to move the world's population of the most vulnerable children into the country of Mexico, we would double the population of Mexico. There are as many orphaned and vulnerable children living in Ethiopia as there are people living in the greater New York City area. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever been to New York City, but man, that's a lot of children. Still not understanding the heart of this crisis, one of the pictures that I love to use when I'm talking about this to understand the enormity of the need is by overlaying the number of the world's orphaned children onto a map of the United States. If we were to move the vulnerable children worldwide into the U.S., they would replace the population of over, over more than the southern half of the U.S. That's most of California, all of Texas, all of Florida, etc. It's a lot of children. But what does it mean to be a vulnerable child in need? What is that need? In Eastern Europe, 50% of the children who age out of the system are dead by the time they're 25 years old. Another 25% are in jail for violent crime. If you do the math, that's 75% of the children that age out of the system are either dead or in jail 
by the time they're 25 years old. Their lives have barely begun. 60% of the girls are trafficked. You may know my children. And to put the the statistic kind of in your face, I would ask you, which one would you choose? We adopted four kids. Statistically, one of them would have survived. You may be thinking, that's really sad, but we cannot be responsible for the world's children. There's a whole other sermon series in that statement that I'm not even going to touch on. (laughs) I'm just going to say, I'm going to paraphrase actually Bono from U2, who I did not know was a Christian. If you actually listen to some of his songs, they're actually about heaven. did not know that. But he said that the longitude and latitude in which you're born should not determine if you live or die. So lest you think that the U.S. is doing a stellar job taking care of our children, there are vulnerable children here in our neighborhoods and cities as well. Did you know that more than 800,000 children move through the foster care system each year? There are as many as 400,000 children in the U.S. foster care system on any given day, and that 122,000 of them are legally free and available for adoption. That's staggering. I once heard a statistic that if one family in every three churches brought adopted a child from foster care, there would be no need for a foster care system. Okay. Approximately 25,000 children age out of the system here in the U.S. every year, but they don't have a true understanding of the life skills that are needed to survive into adulthood. Things like balancing a checkbook or even opening a bank account, cooking and shopping. 70% of youth in foster care want to go to college, yet nearly 25% of youth aging out did not even have a high school diploma or a GED, and only 6% finish a two- or four-year college program if they age out of foster care. 70% of the youth end up on government assistance, and within four years of aging out, 50% do not have a job, and those that do average a $7,500 a year salary. I don't know about you guys, but how do you live on that? So let's make our bubble even smaller. We live here in Howard County, one of the richest counties in the, in the country. 96 youth were served by Voice in the Children last year in Howard County. 48 of them had a parent or parents for whom substance abuse was the reason they were in care. 49, that's more than half, 49 were placed outside of Howard County for a variety of reasons, but one of the biggest being that there are not enough families here in Howard County to foster our children. So this is not somebody else's problem. There is a real and tangible need here locally, in the United States, and throughout the world. So there's definitely a need, but if I convinced you, you, each one of you, that you need to be part of the solution, are you still questioning why you need to stand in the gap and that we all need to do more? I mean, you take care of your family and probably others in your bubble. I know you. You are kind and caring people. You love God and you worship him with us on Sunday mornings and hopefully throughout the week. You give generously to our church and to your family and to our community. 
So why is it your responsibility to stand in the gap for these vulnerable children? I'm going to tell you if you are a Christ follower, the answer is clear. Christians work in a vertical to horizontal way. If you think about it, God first loved us, a vertical movement, so we love others, a horizontal movement. Paul tells the Ephesian church to forgive each other even as God had forgiven them. It's a vertical moment. God forgives us, so we're to forgive others. We love because he first loved us. And in Romans 15, Christians are told to welcome others as Christ welcomed them. So Christ welcomes us, so we need to welcome others. We do because through his grace, he has already done. So what does that have to do with this and why you should care about vulnerable children, hosting, adoption, foster care, orphan care? It's all about just that. If you, have post, if you have chosen to follow Jesus, you've been adopted into his family. He has done the vertical movement by claiming us as his. But have you responded with the horizontal movement? Have you claimed those in needs as part of our family? So let's come at this from a different angle. What does it mean to be pure and thoughtless in religion? And that's thoughtless, not thoughtless. As I was practicing, I was like, hmm, that sounds a lot alike. So pure and thoughtless in religion. Well, it's laid out for us in scripture. So the scripture's on the screen behind, and let's dig into it. All right, so James 127 says, religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and thoughtless as this, to keep, oneself to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Polluted. Toxic. Following the world is toxic. Pure and thoughtless religion is remaining unpolluted by this world. And that makes sense to me. Other versions of this text use the word to remain unstained by the world. We're to value that which God tells us is critical and important more than what the world tells us is critical and important. That means that we find value in Christ, not our job, how many hits you had in the last softball tournament, what kind of grades you might be getting in school this semester, how much money we make, how big our house is, how clean we keep that big old house we live in, and how, how well behaved our children who make a mess in that big old house behave. We live in and around Howard County. Many of us have been really blessed with things. We have all that we need, most, if not all, that we want. But that doesn't stop us from wanting more. We look at Facebook, we look at Instagram, we look at Snapchat, we look at TikTok. I don't know anything about TikTok, but that's okay. And we see how many likes or friends that we have, and we find our identity in that. We post things that say, look at all that I am doing. Instead of, look at all that God is doing and continues to do through me. I'm not saying that we should give up all our worldly, worldly items. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I am asking, do you notice those around you that are in need, because they're here 
even in Howard County. I want to ask you, if you were the pastor in that Zambian church 20 years ago, where it all started, would you have been walking to church and noticed all of those children in need around you? Would you have taken notice? Would you have preached a message so powerful that your congregation left church and came back with shoes and fruit and other things that those children might need, even though they had very little themselves? Would you have seen them? Do you see them? Or would you have, walked, would you have just looked away? Walked away? See, vulnerable children have very little status here and around the world. They're invisible to most because most are so focused on what the world tells us is valuable. The most vulnerable in our society go unseen. God sees them, and God loves them, and God's heart breaks for them. They may be unseen by this world, but we live in the kingdom of God, and that is what James 1.27 is saying. We are not to live in this world. Children were never meant to be without families. Adoption was never God's desire. But because sin entered this world, adoption has become part of God's plan for redemption. Every child deserves love. Every child. Think about it. Babies are born into this world they're helpless, and they need to be loved. They need to be cared for. They need to be taken care of. So visualize a baby that you love. I mean, we have a lot of them in our church, and we're getting more by the day. Think about how you reacted to a baby that you loved when he or she cried. Did you go to them? Did you soothe them? Do you know that most of the neural connections in our brain and the foundation of our personality are formed before we turn two years old. Two years old. Even as an infant, you're, you're training your brain. When a baby cries, your body releases cortisol. When you go and you soothe the baby, your, the baby's body releases serotonin. And it's a cycle. Cortisol, serotonin. As that baby grows, the cycle becomes kind of a co-soothing, right? The baby learns to soothe themselves so that the body releases that cortisol. It's repeated over and over. Those babies aren't just being soothed. Their brains are being trained so that they can form the neural connections that drive their executive functioning later in life. So if that cycle is broken, and the baby cries to no one, and no one comes. As a child grows, all of that cortisol, it affects things like understanding cause and effect. It affects things like self-soothing, how to slow your thoughts enough to make wise choices. It affects maintaining attention. So many of our kids from hard places are diagnosed with ADHD, when it's not ADHD at all, it's actually things related to trauma. As children grow, caregivers give them those tools to self-soothe. And hopefully, they'll be able to cope through the stressful times that they're going to have in life. 
when no one is there guiding them, they don't learn this critical life skill. And they often feel afloat like they have no anchor in the storms that life brings their way. Vulnerable children grow up not knowing that they have choices or that they have a voice in this world. They are told and treated as though they're worthless. Even worse, they're often overlooked and ignored like they don't even exist. Too often, we base our identities of things of this world. And too often, vulnerable children base their identity on the message that they hear over and over and over, that they have no value, they aren't wanted, and frankly, that they should not exist. But God, God says, absolutely not. You are chosen and you are loved. Shouldn't every child feel that way? I asked my youngest daughter what message about Orphan Sunday that she thought would be important for me to share. Instead of me repeating her thoughts, she taped her testimony with you for, this, for you this morning. September 4th, 2013, I came to live with my parents. I was in Latvia until the end of September when I came home. I was officially adopted and became an American after the third Latvia trip in January 2014, and at the time I was seven years old. At first I was furious, my real parents didn't want me, and I kept thinking why they hated me and why they hated my siblings. Um, what did we do wrong? I repeated over and over to myself. Um, but over the years, um, I have been upset at them uh, for something they couldn't really control. And um, with the help of my parents, I came to the conclusion that family isn't about being same blood. It's about people you actually care about um, because we choose our own family. And my parents, Charles and Terry Anderson, handpicked us, us out of so many wonderful kids and teens that are just waiting to find a family of their own out of 400,000 and more people. Me and my three goofy siblings got picked. I can't even express in words how astonishing that is, knowing that someone in the world cares about you and loves you and looks after you. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm glad. I'm glad that my old parents couldn't take care of us. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here reading this. I wouldn't be here with my real family. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. God has adopted us into his family. And I said that if you want to be truly pure and faultless in your religion, that you're to go and meet these vulnerable children where they are. You're to go and do the same for them. Wait, you didn't hear that when I read it earlier? Are you sure? So let's look at the screen again and what, read what the verse says and remind ourselves what God tells us is pure and faultless religion. James 1.27 says, Religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by this world. I can't imagine that anyone in this room 
took exception to the part of James 1.27 I read earlier today. Right? It's a no-brainer. We need to stay focused on him and what he deems important and not get sucked into the world around us. So I just wonder why it's so hard for Christians who would wholeheartedly stand up for the second part of James 1.27 to remain focused on God and be unpolluted by this world to wholly ignore the first part of the scripture to look after widows and orphans in their distress. Y'all, God doesn't say, maybe you should go. Or if you feel that you're able or equipped, you should go. Or some of you in this church should go. He doesn't say if the opportunity arises, you should go. He definitely doesn't say let them come to you and then you can care for them. And he doesn't say let your fear paralyze you so that you ignore or you hide from my call to go. I mean, you've heard the story of Jonah, right? I'm just saying. Hiding from God's call does not end well. He clearly says, go, every one of you, go and care for those who are most vulnerable in this world. God has adopted us into his family. That's a vertical motion. And as such, we are called to adopt those most vulnerable in the world into ours. So I want you to really think about this question. Had I led this sermon with the whole of James 127, would you have heard me? Or would have you have heard orphans need you and tuned me out and thought about your grocery list? Or what homework you might still have to do? Or maybe what your baby's doing downstairs? Would you have heard? Be honest. Are you open to hearing God's word about what defines pure and faultless religion? Would you have heard that you are called to go and care for the most vulnerable in this world? It takes a huge act of faith to pray the prayer for God to break your heart for what breaks his. Have you done that? Are you willing to do that? We do not get to choose the commands that we follow. That is not how being fully and wholly submitted to God works. So are you willing to ask God what your role is in going to and meeting the world's most vulnerable where they are? Because I have a not-so-secret secret. God is calling you. He's calling me. He's calling anyone who claims him as their Lord and Savior to go and to love on the most vulnerable around us. So hear me when I'm saying that I am not telling you to leave here and go find yourself a child to grasp into your family. I am not. Frankly, God doesn't call us all to do that. And if he doesn't call you, don't do it. But if you do think that God may just be tapping you and your family on the shoulder... Listen, and please reach out. City on a Hill does actually have a scholarship program for our families that want to host or to adopt or to grow their families this way. And I will tell you that if you feel that God is tapping you on your shoulder and then you wonder if that call was real, God is not going to call you to something like this and then say, I'm just kidding. Those doubts are not coming from God, y'all. But if you're 100% sure 
that you're not being called to grow your family through foster care, adoption, hosting, but you are, I hope, 100% sure that you're being called to care and being called to stand like they did in church in Texas. Because spoiler alert, if you call yourself Christian, you are called to serve. So what can you do? Where can you start? There are some tables that are set up in the back of the room. There's a table for Operation Christmas Child boxes. Um, if you're not familiar with those, there are what you should pack in them. We are going to pack them this week and return them next week, and then I will take them to a distribution center. And if you want to hear a cool story about Operation Christmas Child, the first year my kids were home for Christmas, we were in Chick-fil-A, because I love Chick-fil-A. <laughs> and Ari saw the boxes from across the room, and she's like, Mom, I got one of those boxes. And I was like, what? The year before we met them, they each received an Operation Christmas Child box in Latvia. She had this little Justin Bieber mirror that was hanging on her refrigerator in America. She got it in that box, y'all. It, it, it's just amazing to me. It's a wonderful ministry. Um, also on that table, there is some information about Pukanaz Church on the island of, Na of Maui. Um, I had to go to Maui. I know it's a hard thing for my secular job. I had to go to Maui in September. And while Chuck and I were there, we decided to visit Pukanaz Church in the upcountry. They have been hit hard economically over the years, not just by COVID, but their main industry actually was shut down on their island. Um, this church is an amazing church. Chuck and I were really inspired by what they do for their local community. Actually, during COVID, um, the pastor decided that they were going to take all of their tithes and offerings 100% and put it towards making uh, baskets for people that were most in need in their community. And he wasn't even sure how they were going to do that because, you know, you have to pay for lights. And things to actually run a church. Of course, as God does, they were blessed with more than they could possibly give. So they do a holiday basket every year. Um, they normally do between 25 and 35. That is not the need they have. That's usually what they have resources to do. So I talked with Pastor Shane, and we've decided to collect money to send to Pukanaz for holiday baskets. The baskets are about $50 each, and there is a line on our online giving if you want to give. We're going to collect through November so that we can send it to them and they know what they have a budget for. There's also a table for the Open Hearts and Homes Orphan Hosting Program. This program brings children who live in um, orphanages and foster homes from Ukraine and Latvia to the United States for three to five weeks, um, longer in the summer, shorter at Christmas time, to introduce them to Jesus and to a family and to teach them some life skills. Um, some of you may have met Max who was running around with me this summer. He was at the baseball field, he was at the or softball field, he was at the movie night. Max was one of the kids that was here on that program. Um, Manhattan is also in the back, and she's going to be talking to people about CASA, serving here locally for our children that are in need. So I'm excited about that. You do not have to guess how to engage. There are so many ways. All you have to do is open your eyes and ask God to break your heart for what breaks his. I hope that you see these children who need you so that you stand in the gap for them because they're not able to do it on their own. David Platt said that orphans are easier to ignore before you know their names. They're easier to ignore before you see their faces. And it's easier to pretend that they're not real 
until you hold them in your arms. But once you do, everything changes. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and as they get ready to play, and actually Shane is going to come talk first, I'm going to tell you some names. They're going to sing their last song, and a slideshow will be playing. There are going to be pictures of children before they were hosted, fostered, or adopted, and then pictures of them during hosting or after they have been with their families. All of these kids, except the first four pictures, were here in Maryland. One is a group picture. One is a group picture. One is, um, <laughs> and then the next two are pictures of before and after of, um, from where friends of mine adopted their children from overseas. Um, one is a year apart after Mira came home, and the second is only eight months after Levi came home. And when you see the difference in those pictures, it is stunning. But I want you to actually look at their faces and see their eyes, because the light in their eyes, it's not there before they come home. So I want you to think of these names. There's Mira, there's Levi, there's Mike and Vika Ott, there's Allie and Alex Macchio, there's Julian and Lisa Sagos, there's Ari and Gabby and Liam and Vanessa. There are a couple of other host children. And the difference that being in a family makes in their lives, it's tangible you can see it. But friends, there are so many children just like them all over this world that they've lost the light. Lord, I just ask you, I ask you to open our eyes. It hurts. It hurts to see them. Lord, I ask that we're not just compassionate, but Lord, that we really, really see your heart and our hearts break. Put our hearts back together, Lord. Lord, this day, 20 years, it's amazing. This day started in the country of Zambia and has spread to every state in the United States and over 60 countries throughout the world. Today, they're praying for the most vulnerable in our world. There are so many hard things to see, Lord, but today we come together. And today, we can make a difference.